Well, good morning. How is everyone? Good. My name is Eric. If you don't know me, uh, we'd love to get to know you and help connect you to our church and out in the Welcome Center in the courtyard. We'd love to give you a gift and just help you become a part of our church family. And so welcome if you're new. We're glad you're here. Uh, a couple announcements. One, uh, we're going to have a general information for the Israel trip in 2024. If you went to the first one, you don't need to go to the second one. And so we're just there to answer questions, help you understand uh, just the blessing and just uh, all the details that are included in that. And lunch will be provided. So that's 1130 in the activity center. And then uh, as you saw last Sunday, we talked about uh, just reaching the nations. And so it's going to the ends of the earth and, and proclaiming the gospel everywhere we can. And so part of that opportunity is through summer teams. And so there's uh, three teams we have going. And so you have an opportunity to go and uh, just see God worshiped in another language, um, served by brothers and sisters in Christ who um, are all the way on the other side of the globe. And so we just encourage you to look into that 1130 A105 and just maybe answer some questions and begin praying about uh, what it would be like to go and see and uh, be sent by your church. So uh, we encourage you to think about that uh, as well. So here we are. We're in Matthew chapter uh, 7. And this is, uh, man, people get really angry sometimes at these sermons. So let's, let's try to do two things. Let's try to, one, understand this is one of the most abused passages in all of the world. Okay? And so let's be upfront and get that out. And uh, hopefully you leave comforted and not angry. Um, but I think oftentimes our view of prayer is shaped by things that the Bible just never says. And, and we want to be a people that are shaped and formed by his word um, because he determines how things work. Is that a pretty fair conclusion? Even if you don't agree with it, it is, okay? It's a fair conclusion. And so uh, when we look at this text, John read it, it kind of gives the first glance, hey, ask, and you'll receive. Now, here's what I want you to think about, just practically. We've been trying to do this in Matthew. Context, context, context. What's the whole context? What's the whole context? Remember, this is one gigantic sermon starting all the way in chapter 5. So there's context around it. But just at a simple glance, cursory reading, does it say that if you have enough faith, you'll get whatever you want? Do you, do you see that anywhere in the text? There's no condition to money, and there's no condition to obedience, and there's no condition to the amount of faith that you might have. I'm not making that up. You guys with your own eyes see that, correct? Okay, but that's how this passage will get preached a lot. And the passage will just make you a victim and just beat you up and say, you didn't give enough money. That's why you still have cancer. Your husband left you because you didn't have enough faith. Your children hate you because you didn't. And it's just work harder, give more, work harder. And they just beat you with being a moral kind of person. And if you were more morally superior, then you would have a better outcome. On a cursory reading, we don't see that, do we? Okay, that's step one. Step two, that's nowhere found in the disciples or Paul. Paul has the least amount of faith of anyone in the Bible, if that's how it works. Have you read Paul's resume, being beaten, shipwrecked, bit by a snake, imprisoned? Does that sound like a man who's earning his faith? That's not a trick question. No, right? And most of the apostles were 
crucified or some type of uh, persecuted related death. Okay, so th- th- there's not a correlation there. And that's part one. Part two, I want you to just practically think about this. You have to reject the idea that God gives us whatever he wants just practically, just pragmatically. Just, just think about it for one second. Wouldn't the world look really different if everybody got what they wanted all the time? Yeah, just, just think about this on, on, a, on a humorous level. Can you imagine March Madness right now? Right? Everyone's praying that their team's going to win, but there's only one winner. Like, how do you resolve that if you're God? Do only the Christian schools win? Which we know isn't true. They never win, right? Like, it's just, it just is, right? It just it never happens. Is it you have more Christians on your team? Is it you prayed 100 times, but you guys only prayed 97 times? Like, how do you reconcile that? Just on a cursory level, kind of humorous. On a more serious note, there's some people just rejoicing right now that it's raining. Right? We, we've needed water. But you know there's some people that are praying that it would stop? So why did God answer that one? And the other one, he's like, no, you're cursed. They prayed nine times. They curse less than you. They're not cheating on their wife. They're a better person than you are. So the second I get my morality up, then he stops being blessed. That's problematic, isn't it? Just on a, on a cursory, just basic, logical level, it's not true. We'd all be married to different people, right? You'd be married to that, you know, four-year-old that stole your heart in preschool, right? She had fruit snacks, and it was over from there. Right? That just—it would be different. Can you imagine God answering all the prayers of five-year-olds? Right? It'd be a true Marvel movie, wouldn't it? Like it would be chaos. Just on a cursory level, it makes no sense. And, and so I just—I want to get that out of the way because the way this sermon's going to unpack. It's not going to be about getting what you want. That is absolutely, actually has very little to do with prayer. Unless what you're saying is, I want Christ. Then, yes, it's all about getting what you want. And so just on a cursory level, I, I want to encourage you. Uh, prayer isn't just asking you get whatever you want. There's parameters built around it. And if I could make one last plea, I know this is a long introduction. I, I semi-apologize. Um, just think through this. Do we really want God to work for us? I mean, just really think about that. God exists to do what I want. See, the problem is we think of that in a vacuum, but that would apply to everybody else. So even if you think too highly of yourself, you're... You're thinking, not thinking about others enough. It would apply to everyone, everywhere, everywhere, in every language, in every tribe. Everyone getting whatever they want. Okay, so then to ask yourself the question before we get in, to really kind of cement in your mind, does prayer exist so that I can get what I want? Or does prayer exist so that I can do what God wants. Just think about that practically. Do we really want the sinners in charge of the sovereign? Or God's going, well, you asked, so I I, got to give it to you. I have no choice. I have no choice. I'm sovereign, but you're created, and you're so amazing. You've just bent me to your will through your behavior. You've wooed me 
to do whatever you want through your formula that you created. Okay, now, I understand that's making some of you, oh, finally someone said it. And the other half of you are like, that's so mean. That's so angry. That's just not what the text says, though. It's just not what it says. Okay, so we're going to pray. We'll walk through what does it say. And let's look at it contextually. And hopefully you walk away being, man, I'm so glad God allows us to pray. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you that we get to just come and listen to your word and just what it means. I pray it would encourage us. I pray that it would uh, enlighten us, illuminate us. It would draw us close to you. And I just pray for you to give us a heart to pray uh, with the right intent and the right desire and the right conclusion. And so I just pray we would fall more in love with you through your word and that we would have hearts that just constantly want to communicate with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so remember, what's our general overall context we've seen from Matthew? What's the language, especially in the Sermon on the Mount? There's a king and there's a father. There's a king and there's a father. God is the father. That's how Jesus first addressed prayer in Matthew 6, right? And Jesus is the coming king. Matthew 1, the genealogy, comes from the Davidic line, a king line. So Jesus is your king. God is your father. And so when you start with that premise, you should know two things. Do you know more than your kids? I hope so, right? I know one day they'll grow up and be smarter than all of us, but let's talk infancy. You're smarter than the two-year-old, right? It's a no-brainer. The father knows best. You go to the father and you live in the king's world, his realm, his kingdom. And he knows how to rule his kingdom because he knows everything that's going on. He He knows how A affects B all the way down to Z. He knows absolutely everything. So when we look at that context, our context is we're going to the father about the kingdom. How do we live in the kingdom? And that the father would help us live in that kingdom properly. That's why Jesus tells in Matthew 6, he's like, look, he already knows what you need before you ask. So if the goal is not asking, what is the goal? The goal is relationship. The goal is relationship. Look at the words, ask, seek, knock, and they're present, active imperatives. What does that mean? It means it's an ongoing, continuous act all the time. Always ask, always seek, always knock. Well, what would that do to you? It would put you in a perpetual state of relationship that you're always going to the Father in the name of the Son by the aid and help of the Spirit. Prayer is Trinitarian in that way. You're always going to the Father. It has a relational bend to it. Go to the Father, go to the Father, go to the Father. And then he gets to the lesser to the greater argument. Well, if your Father knows how to give you food, how much greater, right? We're the lesser, he's the greater, is your Heavenly Father. So you start thinking through this, well, why go to the Father? Because he's the one who knows all things. So here's the problem we have. If God's all-knowing, and God's all-powerful, and God is loving, then how come I don't get what I want? Yeah, selfish. But really, we think we know what we need better than God does. We don't go to God because he needs our help. We go to God because we need his help. 
And so if you, if you miss that framework, your prayers are going to be very off. They're going to be off-putting. And you're going to be disappointed in, in a lot of ways. Now, here, here's the beautiful thing. Ask, seek, and knock. You always get an answer. We realize this? Just sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes the answer is wait. And sometimes the answer is yes. And so prayer is about helping us find where in that matrix are we? Are we in a waiting season? Are we in a no season? Are we in a yes season? And prayer is the forming and the shaping of our hearts before a holy father, holy God, living in his son's kingdom and doing that properly. So when we think about prayer, it's the shaping of us, not the shaping of God. And he says to do it over and over and over and over again. So that, I mean, think about this. How many of you love it when your kids pester you? We don't, okay? If we don't, let me know who you are. I'll send other people's kids to you as well. And you can just take all the pestering for us. Okay, this is where God's a different kind of father. He says, hey, pester me. Come, pester me. Come, come, come. Now, I want you to think about this practically. Is God saying that eventually you'll wear him down? Is that what God's saying? You know, if you ask me 99, I'm strong enough to say no. But when you get to 100, I'm just like, what can I do anymore? I just can't handle your persistence anymore. Do we really think that's what God's saying? No, but yet there is the command to be persistent. He even says it in the parable. He, he commends the persistent widow. Why? Because one of two things happen. You ever notice children? They ask, they ask, they ask, they throw a fit. And then a week later, you get them what they want. They're like, well, I don't care about that anymore. I've moved on. It's kind of like high school dating, right? Oh, I have to have this one. And then, whoa, look at that one. Boom. Changed in an instant. But man, you were all in 10 minutes ago. Right? That's dating to a, to a degree. I'm not making fun of it. I'm just saying. There's a difference between infatuation, what you think you want, and what you actually need. And persistence sometimes just will wear you down. So to the point where you say, I guess I don't really need that. Because it's been two years and I still don't have it. And I guess I'm fine. I'm still breathing, still living, still love Jesus. But man, I really thought I needed that. See, the persistence is either going to wear us down or it's going to cause a huge celebration. Do you know that some of the people are here now because other people prayed for them for 10, 20, 30, 40 years? Just kept praying and praying and praying. Oh, was a celebration when that person came to know Jesus. And so you're either going to have this huge celebration because you've been seeking and seeking and knocking and knocking. Or eventually what the Lord will do is he'll get you at peace. That you've done what you can. And the, simply the answer is no or wait. And so it's a win-win when you look at it through that lens. That it's through time and time and time God's preparing your heart to submit. I mean, you have to look at the disciples. They're pushing Jesus all through the gospel. When are you going to take the throne? When is Israel going to be restored? Old Testament, when are we going to have a kingdom? When are we going to have a kingdom? God keeps telling them, it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. 
And, and before we get to the king reigning on David's throne, I'm going to come as savior first. He keeps his promise, but he says, we need to keep waiting. You're not going to know the day or the hour, but he's coming. Keep waiting. And so when you look through this, it's very biblical for God to tell his people to wait. He's never early. He's never late. He's always on time. And that annoys us so much, doesn't it? And so what you kind of have to wrap your head around is God's no and God's wait better than the world's yes and my timing. Is God all of a sudden not worthy of worship because he didn't say yes or he told us to wait? On some level, we think we have better timing and we know more when we get angry that we're not getting what we want. Okay, so again, I know for some of you, you're thinking like, why do I even pray? Well, why does God exist? Does he exist to serve you or do you exist to serve him? If you exist to serve him, then prayer is there for you to help you serve him. And if you love him, your greatest joy, your greatest blessing is listening and doing what he would have you to do. And so prayer becomes this opportunity for us to consistently go to the Father. And here, if I can encourage you in any way, I don't know about you guys, but for me, prayer knocks a lot of the stupid off. Right? I just go to the Father. And then you start praying, and you're like, this sounds really dumb. Why am I praying for these things? They don't matter. And it kind of forces you to really think through, do I really need that? Do I really want that? Do I really feel comfortable asking God that? Do I really want, you know, that person to be in pain? Do I really want my will to be done? Do I really need that? Can I survive without that? And it just kind of helps you get to a place of, okay, God, what really matters? What do I really need to focus on? And I'm so thankful that God tells me to go to him. And I can go to him with crazy ideas and crazy needs and insecurities and it's through the consistency, you'll kind of see that infatuation will go and you won't be praying for that anymore. Or you might have an illness and you're just praying, God, take it away, take it away, take it away, take it away. God said no to Paul. Paul comes to a place where he says, okay, okay, God said no. Well, I'm gonna boast to the power of Christ. And you have to shift now. What? Okay, God, help me accept this. Help me be obedient. Help me love you. Help me think highly of you. Help me worship. Help me come to a place of Job where the Lord gives, the Lord takes, and blessed be his name. He takes all his possession. Bless him. God, help my heart be in the proper place. I either need to be at a place where I celebrate that you answered, or I need to be at a place where I celebrate that you said no, because you're going to use this for your glory. Coming to a place of, okay, it's not raining, and for that individual, God's saying, trust me. And so for that person, it just keeps raining and raining. And God's saying, you need to trust me. And so he's working out his will through that trust. But for the other person, they're praising God. The crops are growing. The prayer they've been praying for seven years, 10 years, 20 years since we've had this kind of weather. It's like, you've answered my prayer. So he's celebrating and he's being told to wait. He's being told to trust that God's good in both instances. Yeah, that, that is ultimately the goal. This guy needs to pray to, to, to trust the Lord and to thank him for his goodness. And, and this one needs to just keep praising him that he answered his, his prayer. 
And so prayer is that opportunity. We're constantly bringing things before the Father with the openness to say, God, say no to whatever it is you need to say no and show me what it is you're going to say yes and help me in the in-between where I'm confused, I'm full of fear, and I'm frightened. This is why 1 Thessalonians 5.17, it says, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Another way to say it is pray in all situations. When you're going to work, it's like, God, I need you to direct me at work. You're coming home. I need you to direct me with my family. You're taking your kids to school. God, help me usher, have good conversations, have Christ-likeness. You're praying in all situations, saying, God, I want you to form and shape every circumstance, every opportunity that I have. See, it's actually a beautiful thing that we're invited to this relationship with the Father. Do we see that? It's only a disappointment if you viewed God as a genie. Then yeah, you should be really disappointed. But if you view him as the scripture is saying, as the Father, you have a perfect heavenly Father that wants you to talk to him. Isn't that a good thing? Okay? And not only does he want you to talk to him, he wants you to do what he wants, which is more loving than letting us do whatever we want. I mean, on some level, is it more loving for you to let the two-year-old run the show or for you to run the show for the two-year-old? I have faith all of you are smarter than a two-year-old, right? So what the scripture is getting at, hey, even the earthly dad knows not to give a brick, right? You need bread, you need a fish. And notice the metaphors through physical needs of eating. He doesn't say, what father, when asked for a Tonka truck, gives him a brick? No, he's saying food. If you know how to take care of the needs of your children, how much greater is the father? And he spent chapter six saying, he already knows what you need before you ask. So then if the asking isn't about changing God, the asking is about changing us. It's a good thing. He invites us into a relationship where we can work through some of the issues we have in our lives. That's why part of this context has to go back into taking the log out of our own eye before we look in the speck of others. Prayer is about taking the log out. It's about going, God, where am I not seeing things the way you would see things? This is what David prays in the Psalms a lot. He said, God, test me, search me, know me, show me. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. He cares about the relationship with God. And so he deals with his sin so that relationship can be in a right place. So he can be in a place to hear what God would ask him to do. So he could be in a place where he would see what God is trying to do. Because he's dealing with his sin before his father and he cares about the relationship. So, so you have to look at that as well. Because then it's going to transition right back next week into like the this weird transitional kind of whatever you do for others, right? That you'd want done for yourself. How does that fit? Well, it fits with we're aligning our hearts with God. We're understanding the sin in our life and dealing with it before God. And when we see how God is dealing with us, we go, man, those other people are sinful and they need Christ and they need love and they need forgiveness. It shapes and helps the way we treat people through a consistent relationship with God through prayer. Now, the beauty of this is that I know it would be nice if, if God audibly spoke back to us. It'd be a little scary if we're honest, but we have his word. 
The Bible tells us over and over and over again what God wants us to do. Yeah. And we, we overcomplicate that. And how do, you, how do you come to a resolution? Just keep praying. And God will help separate the infatuation from the obedience to the doing his will. That's why it's good to pray things like Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try and know my thoughts. God, show me where my desires are off track, where my selfishness is taking in, where my fear is taking in. You know, show me where my complacency, my laziness, show me where I have envy or jealousy or I'm coveting. And that's shaping my prayer. It's shaping the things I'm asking for. It's shaping my decisions. Show me that. That's a part of prayer. David does it over and over again. James talks about asking wrongly. You have not because you ask not. And then how does the rest of it go on? Because you ask wrongly because you want to spend it on your passions and your desires. So instead of going into, God, this is what I want. God, what would you have for me? God, this is what I want to do. Is that biblical? Is that what you'd want me to do? And you don't get an answer. Keep knocking. Keep seeking. You know, even think of seek. Where do we see seek in Matthew? Seek first the kingdom of God. Part of your primary prayer is you're seeking, God, what do you want me to do? God, I'm in your kingdom. God, how should I act? You know, 1 John 5, how do I act according to your will? How do I obey you? How do I listen to you? And then how do I accept it when you say no? Because God does answer. Yes, no, wait. And prayer helps us come to a place where we can accept all three answers. And sometimes wait's beautiful. Why? Because God's keeping us dependent on him. It means come back, keep praying, keep praying, keep praying. You imagine the celebration of 40 years of prayer? 40 years. God said, I have this perfect timing. They're going to come to know Christ. They're going to be healed. They're going to, whatever that is, the celebrations that that brings. And then the waiting we're drawing close to God, drawing close, saying, help me trust you. Help me be obedient. Help me love you. So you work your way through that. God's desires for us to communicate with him. That's a good thing, isn't it? And instead of looking, it's like, oh man, what's the point in praying? It's not about me getting whatever I want. I don't think we really want a God like that. It helps nobody. It ends in anarchy. And it makes no sense why God is doing what these people want, but not what these people want, because there's no formula that lays out how he picks. Is there? The answer is no. You can read your Bible. There's no formula. The formula is God's sovereign. He does as he chooses. And we're told to accept and come underneath and trust his decisions. Either what he directly causes or indirectly allows. Either way, we're to trust him. Prayer is about us coming into a place of trust. So that's why we look at how do we define what is a good gift? Because it says that he gives good gifts and it says that he gives gifts that are better than our gifts. And so if you look at prayer through a material lens, then yeah, the gifts might be lacking. But if you look at through what Jesus goes through over and over and over again, is he emphasizes the spiritual. He emphasizes the eternal. He emphasizes what's going on in your heart. 
then Ephesians 1 is absolutely true that God's given us every spiritual blessing in Christ. It's what he keeps trying to tell Israel. Look, you want this physical king, but you have a savior right in front of you that's gonna take away the sins of the world. That's why John the Baptist, he's, he gets it. He's like, the lamb's here. Our sins are gonna be forgiven. The rest of the guys are trying to figure it out. Like, when are you gonna sit on the throne and when are we gonna be in charge? And it's like, you guys need to quit worrying about the world and understand your eternal destiny is taken care of. You have the greatest gift you could ever get, eternal life. You have that. And then what are the benefits that come from eternal life? What are the benefits of having Christ? What are the benefits of having the church? What are the benefits of having the Holy Spirit? These are the gifts God promises and he gives And sometimes we act as if the only gift that we can get is physical and material. And then we get angry that God doesn't give us the material gift and we don't celebrate the spiritual gift, salvation. I mean, a part of God's prayer, if you notice through scripture, is you see people in the Psalms, you see the prophets, they feel all alone. And one of his greatest comforts he'll say is you are not alone. You are not alone. It's essentially what he says to Elijah in Romans chapter 11, three, when he's looking back to Elijah, he goes, he has this beautiful moment with the prophets of Baal. God shows up and he saves him and he rains down fire. Wouldn't you feel confident that God could do anything after that moment, right? 400 prophets cutting and bleeding and and their false God fails. God sends down fire. You serve the one true God. And then like next chapter, he's like, God, take me away. I don't want to be here. I'm scared. What does he say? He's like, look, there's a remnant. There's 7,000 people. There's a people that I've preserved. You're not alone, Elijah. You're okay. You're okay. He doesn't take away the queen trying to kill him. He doesn't change the circumstance. He just comforts him and says, you're not alone, Elijah. You're not alone. I'm with you. The same God that got you off the mountain will take you through this next one. How often in prayer do we pray as if God's never answered anything in our life? As if God didn't do anything in our past. We quickly forget, don't we? That's why it's good to remember how has God given you great gifts? Gifts of comfort, gifts of love, gifts of patience, gift of heaven, gift of the Holy Spirit, gift of the church, gift of the forgiveness of sins. This is why it's important you look through, I don't have time to exposit this whole thing, but man, just look at Ephesians 3. This is an actual prayer from from scripture that Paul prays to his people. I think it's key to understanding what Matthew 7 is getting at. Okay, so Paul could pray for anything, anything. And this is what he prays for. Ephesians 3. And we know it's a prayer because he says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Ephesians 3.14. And he prays that they would be strengthened with power through their spirit and their inner being. So he's praying, God, help them trust you from the inside out. Help their spirit trust you so that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith. Verse 18 or verse 19 that they would know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge, 
that they might be filled with all the fullness of love of God. Sorry. What's the point? He's saying, I'm praying that you would understand how much God loves you. Because if you understand how much God loves you, it'll help you trust him in the hard circumstances. Because some of you are going to pray that God would not, that God would take away your cancer, and he's not. And the cure to that is that you know how much the Father loves you. That he loves you so much that he can take this bad thing and make a good thing out of it. That's Genesis with Joseph, what man meant for evil, God meant for good. That when God doesn't allow that person in your life to live, he takes them from you. That you understand he loves you so much that you trust that that's better for that person, that God's plan's better than your desires. Key to prayer is understanding the depth of the Father's love. So that you can, at the end of this, verse 21, says, to him be the glory in the church forever and ever. See, it's through that consistent knocking, seeking, and finding that we're able to trust God with his decisions. You're preparing for when God says no, when God says yes, or to celebrate in that yes, sorry, or when God says wait. That's why it's a constant, consistent relationship. And the good gifts are spiritual, and he's given them, and we should celebrate them. And the things that we don't get in this world, we can't take them to heaven with us anyway. That's what he's getting at. That's what he's getting at. You have everything you need in Christ. Everything you need. This is why you look through prayers in the New Testament. They might be filled with the knowledge of God, that they might be strengthened in their spirit, that their faith might abound, that their love might abound, that their understanding of God might abound. So it says, pray for wisdom, pray for understanding, pray for discernment. Pray that God would show you how to execute the fruit of the spirit. Pray that God would show you where you lack love, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. You ever notice we think we're good at all of those and there's always one that we're way off on? That's a good time to say, God, search me, know me, try me, show me where I fall short. Show me where I lack love, I lack patience, I lack self-control, I lack kindness, I lack gentleness. Help me display those fruit of the Spirit. Help me act like Christ. See, then prayer becomes very forming and shaping, helping us be like Christ, helping us accept what the Father has allowed, helping us accept the Father's knows through spending consistent time with him over and over and over again. And it says, that's the promise. If you do this, ask, seek, knock. You ask, you'll receive. You seek, you'll find. You knock, it'll be opened. God will answer. The question is, will we trust the answer that is provided? God's ultimate answer to how he helps us get there is through Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. He's saying, I know it might be hard for you to trust me in this situation, but if I would send my son to die in your place and pay for your sin, or am I not worthy of your trust? It's a fair question, isn't it? If I'm sending my son to prepare a place for you, am I not worthy of your trust that I would allow you to be in heaven with me forever through the payment of my son? 
That's why we can look in good faith and say, okay, his gifts are better. His no is better than the world's yes. His weight is better than my timing because he is the greatest father with the greatest king. And for those reasons, we can trust him, amen? Okay, it's just some questions for us to think through. You know, what are some scriptures that you can pray? You can look through, just look through these, through the Psalms, that Ephesians 3, just pray scripture because we know God's word's perfect. And so in there are way people prayed in the past that could help us pray in the present. Okay. Second question, why are we told to ask, seek, and knock? Because it's relational. And it's about shaping our heart. It's about us coming to a place of understanding. It's about us knocking off the infatuation, separating the need from the want. Three, how would you explain to someone that this passage does not teach health, wealth, and prosperity? Remember the full context of Matthew. Four, what are the biblical categories of prayer that you should include in your prayers? Confession of sin, the forming to his will, his will be done, his kingdom, his purposes, his pleasures, fruit of the spirit, acting like Christ, all of these things, biblical categories. How can you pray more? And what do you need to pray more about? And think less material, think more spiritual. God, how can I love you more? How can I be more like you? Who doesn't know Christ that needs to know Christ? And then six, why do you think that prayer is so misunderstood? I think it's because they miss that it's, it's relational. It's not transactional. It's not a genie. It's a father and a child. Where the father desires for the child to know the child can trust the father in all things. Amen? Let's pray. God, we love you. And we praise you. And we thank you for Jesus. And I just pray that you would lead us uh, in a time of communion, thinking, communing with you, ironically. And I just pray that we would be a people of prayer, not because we think you're some genie in the sky who grants us wishes, but because you're a father who knows best. And we just simply don't. We thank you for not answering the craziness of our prayers. We thank you for knowing more than we do. We thank you for caring about us. We thank you for sending Jesus to pay for our sin. That we can trust you in in all things. So we just pray that you would be with us and guide us as we go into a time of communion. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's really fun when the sermon matches the communion. um, Because it it makes it really easy to transition just our hearts and our minds. We just talked about prayer. And, And communion is one of the most relational things you'll ever get to do. It's a set-aside time where you get to talk to the Father and thank him for the Son shedding his blood, breaking his body on our behalf. And you get to live through that with him. You get to talk through how your sin helped put Jesus on the cross. I mean, all of our sin did, but in communion, you're focusing on your sin and confessing that sin before the Father. And you can have full assurance, you're forgiven. You're forgiven, completely forgiven. And you can transition in that communing, that that time 
we begin to ask God to show you your heart, show you how you can love him more, how you can be more faithful, how you can trust him in hard things, how he can loosen your hands that you have grips on things that are bad for you or you're wrestling with to help you come to a place of gratitude and thankfulness for Jesus dying on the cross for your sins. Now, if you're not a believer, you haven't trusted that Christ is the payment for your sins. I just, we ask that you don't take the communion. Maybe for the first time, pray, ask God, what does this mean that Jesus would pay for my sin? Focus on the words that we sing. Ask God to show you, reveal to you. Uh, If you are a Christian, we just take this seriously. Take this time of communing with the Lord seriously. Don't use it to check out and think about what's going on. But really thank Jesus for dying on the cross for your sins. Quick side note, bread first, juice second. Otherwise, you'll spill the juice trying to get the bread and you'll prolong your communion, confession, and repentance time, okay? So do that first. Spend some time going before the Lord. Here's what's good. He's commanded us to do this. He cares. He listens. He just doesn't always give the answers we like. But praise God that he doesn't. Praise God he knows more than us and he sees better than we do. So ultimately, my prayers we'd come out of this and John will lead us in worship that we could just praise him, that he knows all things, that he cares about us, that he's with us and he loves us and he paid for us and we get to be with him forever. Those are great reasons to sing, amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you for Jesus. Pray you'd lead us and guide us in a time of communion. I will just remember faithfully what was done on the cross on our behalf and that we would enjoy this time that we get to go before a holy, righteous, perfect God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.